Top of the morning to you, or afternoon, or evening, whenever you may be listening. My name is Scotty. I am the host of this podcast called Chip Time, and we are here for another episode. Today it is Saturday, May 29th, which is the conclusion of both NCAA Division I regionals and NCAA Division II nationals. We also have the Portland Track Festival going on with a lot of professional runners, professional clubs who are looking to punch their ticket to the Olympic trials. And also you got a handful of runners who have already punched that ticket and are just staying sharp with the trials being just a couple weeks away. They are 20 days away. Yes, I am counting. So just a little bit before we start, just to set the table No, I will not be giving my own personal background today. There is too much content to get into, and who really cares about that anyways? So all I will say to you people listening is, I did a 13-mile long run this morning, I just got COVID vaccine number two, and now I'm doing this podcast. So yeah, you know, a lot of people have been throwing around the word hero, I would never say that, okay? I would never say that, but if other people are saying it, I won't stop them. So let's get right into it. The table of contents, the TOC for today, we got a packed show. We're going to start out with a quick recap of yesterday's 3,000 meter steeplechase for Division II, since I previewed that with the Christian Noble segment. Next up, we got another full inside access interview, this time with a different mic. And lastly, I will be doing another segment of Runners You Need to Know. And you know what? I decided rather than making it kind of a kind of a reveal at the end of the show, um, I'm just gonna slap it right in the title who I'm spotlighting so you can uh, maybe get a little excited. And also, when we look back on this chain of episodes and scroll through, I can see, you know, which weeks I talked about which different runners. So today, it is Ellie Hennis of NC State. But before that, let's get into our recap of the steeplechase. So for anyone who watched it, it was a dud of a race. This happens. This happens in the sport. This really happens in any sport where... A highly anticipated, um, let's say, prize fight. You know, Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao. That was a dud of a fight. This happens in team sports too, where there's a highly anticipated matchup, and one of the teams just gets blown out. But what was so strange about the race yesterday is that it wasn't a dud in the manner you would have thought. You would have thought a dud would have been Christian Noble taking it from the gun. No one being able to hang with his aggressive pace and him taking NCAA gold. But that is not what happened at all. I mean, you could argue the complete opposite happened in this race. So I turned it on, turned on the live stream. It was free. Thank you, NCAA. It was free. These are amateurs. These are unpaid amateurs. A paywall would have been grossly inappropriate. So I looked up, here's a little background for you. I looked up the weather in Allendale, Michigan, where this race was hosted at the time the gun went off. 
This is the inside information, people. So it was 52 degrees, cloudy, and 18 mile per hour winds. I don't know my cardinal directions well enough to know which part of the track it was, and I couldn't really tell from watching it, but that's a pretty windy day, and I know from my experience, even having um, you know, eight mile per hour winds on the wrong part of the track can really, really, you know, take the energy out of you. So with that said, it really surprised me that Taylor Stack from Western Colorado, the, uh, the runner who I mentioned has gone sub nine at altitude. He took it from the gun. So he went out by himself and ate up the wind to run an aggressive pace. That tells me this was his coach's plan for him to run from the gun. Don't sit and kick. Don't wait for for Noble to, don't give him a chance to be able to make a move. And so about a K into the race, Stack was leading by 15, 20 meters, just starting to build a gap. And then this is when just the unthinkable happened. Halfway through the race, just about 1,500 into it, Christian Noble clipped a barrier on the back stretch and completely wiped out. Wasn't the water pit, it was the back stretch. And for anyone who's not too familiar with the steeplechase, you know, you may have watched sprint hurdles. And it is very possible in sprint hurdles if you clip a hurdle to continue your race, even to win your race. That happens very often. There are even times when people hit a hurdle pretty bad and They're not really in contention anymore, but you're able to shake it off. You got a nice raspberry on your your shin or or wherever you made contact. But in the 3,000-meter steeplechase, if you clip one of those barriers, there's no way to not wipe out completely. There's really no way to not just get wrecked. And that's what happened to him. Uh, dude was actually just on the infield for pretty much the rest of the race. So um, that was tough to see, you know, for a guy closing out his outdoor track career. But he has another chance in the 5K today. It is actually going on as we speak. And who knows, by the time I finish rambling, I may be able to, to post a, uh, a result here in real time. I don't know if he's competing because it looked like he got beat up pretty bad. But Taylor Stack took the W, 841 PR, and what was so fascinating was he just continued to build that gap and build that gap and run an aggressive pace that no one was matching, whereas the second finisher, Caleb Futter from Grand Valley State, so I guess uh, slight props to me for previewing the, the top two people. Uh, he ran 854, but he closed in a 64 second 400, which is kind of insane with those steeple barriers. And Stack closed in a 72. So despite making up eight seconds on that last quarter, the lead was just too much. And the last thing I have to say about that race is just looking at body language, even before Noble went down from that contact with the barrier. I don't think anyone was stopping Stack in that race. He he executed his plan. His body language was confidence and execution, whereas Noble just looked a little uneasy, looked like he might not have been feeling it, and ultimately took a tough tumble, tough to get knocked out of a race like 
that. But that's what happened there. A lot more action, but we already got a packed show, like I said. So let's dive right into our interview with Mr. Mike McCalla. Long run Saturday. Little controversial. Some people are strictly long run Sunday people. But uh, Scotty and Mike here, not Mike from last time. This is Mike who cooled down solo from workout Wednesday. But we are coming live from Grand Blank, Michigan, where workout Wednesday was. So seems to be the, the place to be, as they say. But beautiful day today. Blue skies, a uh, little windy. We will dive into a little long run talk later but i gotta first have my friend here introduce himself so glad to have you on board welcome to the show thanks thanks for having me it's good to be here the chip time family is growing uh at a rapid rate we we've gone now from two people to three so who knows where where the the skies will will take us but yeah, today was a, a great day for a long run. Um, it's that late spring, early summer time of year where you got to be careful with weather as it gets hotter out. But w- we did have great long run weather being in the mid to upper 40s. So can't complain about that. But looking forward, um, we're going to do a little bit of introductions, a little behind the scenes of my friend's running background here. And then he is joining me next Saturday for our, is it your first race of the season as well? My first race, yes. First race of 2021. Let's go. Same location, but we're actually doing two different events. I'm around the 5K. He will be doing the eight-mile course. So we'll be talking race goals at the end here and, and breaking down this long run a little bit. So... For starting off here, you know, it's it's funny. We got to know each other through work first. And I feel like the first time I heard that you were into running was for the crim, for, for the 10-mile run, uh, which is a little different than, you know, I feel like a lot of people start with that 5K distance. You know, a lot of people have that high school or college track or cross-country running background. So did you start with that longer distance and and really where did your running journey begin? Yeah, uh, I did start with the 10 mile crim. Um, It started in, I would say, senior year of high school. Um, I think I had just graduated and said, hey, I want to go run the crim. So I started training. I had had run casually throughout high school just to stay in shape for um, you know, fall and spring sports. So uh, my dad was a runner in high school, has, has been kind of a, a hobby runner throughout his, his life just to stay in shape and to earn those, uh, those Saturday uh, night outings, um, as he says. So uh, I've always had that influence to um, look up to him and, and really started with the crim in 2010 was my first race and have run it uh, every year consecutively since then. A power decade, 2010 to present, man. So 
you said to to stay in shape for for fall and spring sports. I gotta ask, what? Why didn't you ever run cross or track? It never really crossed my mind. It wasn't well, cool it, enough. It, it did. It did. And let me let me um share that story because I think it's it's kind of funny looking back. Um, so freshman year of high school, I had gr- I'd played soccer all grown up, so I was in decent you know endurance shape. Um, and I thought, hey, I'll go out for the track team. I had only played baseball in eighth grade, you know, was an average player at best. I had good speed, but that was about it. So I thought, so I thought, all right, let's go out for track. So I went to a meeting, um, spring sports meeting. The coach came in and and said, all right, you're going to be a distance guy. Um, I want you running 40 miles a week. And me, with no training background, no formal training, I'd run, you know, maybe five miles a week. One five-miler just to stay in shape, right? So I'm thinking 40 miles a week. Wow, that's that's pretty hefty. That's five miles plus every single day if you average it out. It's like, I don't know if I can do that. So this was a Friday. Tryout started for baseball the following Monday, and so I made my decision that I was going out for baseball and not track. So, um, playing, playing soccer in the fall, football in the fall, I was a kicker. I was able to do both. So really, yeah, just throughout high school, used running just to kind of stay in shape. That is, uh, I, I got to call out that coach a little bit. I, I don't think that's something you bring up at the preseason team meeting. <laughs> I mean, if I would have heard that, I might've hightailed it out of there too. Um, but that is that is a pretty common mileage base for for high school. So at least he was honest with you guys. And I had no friends on the on the team or really anything, and had no really expectations going into this meeting. So my eyes kind of popped out of my head when he said forty, and I was like, I don't know if I have that in me. So um, my decision was made then and there. Um, so did you did you enjoy playing those sports, and um, did did that kind of take that competitive fire in you even though you weren't doing the running events but did did that was that a good experience for you it was I, I definitely enjoyed the team dynamics of, of playing in those um, not that I wouldn't have enjoyed you know on, on a cross team or a track team but um, growing up you know playing soccer since I was four I was really used to you know those team dynamics and um, I really enjoyed that and I was kind of known as you know the conditioning guy on the the baseball team everyone I think hated me when we had conditioning days because I'd kind of set the pace for running our suicides. You just get people. We'd run pulls on the warning track, so pull to pull, left field, left field to right field, and you know I'd kind of set the pace for that. So um, had a lot of the guys. You know, you have a hefty catcher on the team that was sucking sucking wind after the first pull. Uh, you know, cursing you the whole way. Um, so no, that was nice. I kind of I kind of you know relished that moment and um, just being that notorious guy on the team to kind of set that pace. So. I really running was woven into, you know, those other sports as well for me. So 2010, this, this is when the magic happens. The economy's coming back. A lot of big things happening and you decide 2010, I'm going to run a 10 mile race. Why didn't you want to do like a, a 5k, something a little faster? I've always been kind of an all or nothing guy. Um, so do a marathon, bro. I, I did, uh, the following year. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, I guess a, a non-traditional route to take to kind of start your, um, 
running, I guess, career, you could say. Uh, so I trained for that. I did run the Kayla O'Mara 10K in Goodrich um, early that August because um, the crim traditionally takes place the third Saturday in August. So I did, that was my first race ever was the Kayla O'Mara 10K and did pretty well there. I think I ran 40.50 or 41.50, something like that. So I was like, okay, I, I think I have 10 miles in me. And um, yeah, just kind of went for it. None of the other races for the crim really piqued my interest. Um, you know, they always build a, the 10 mile as, the, you know, the race. So I figured, yeah, I might as well throw my throw my uh, my hand into the pot and, and see what this is all about. So, What kind of training did you do? Because you didn't really have that experience. It, like, I'm just trying to think, whenever I peaked for a race, it was under the guidance of a coach when I was younger. It was always, this is the design, this is how you build up your legs and your fitness, and then you ultimately peak in that race. But since you were kind of doing this on your own, did you just kind of get out the door and do mileage or were you working in different things? I did. And, and I, I'd have to look back at my journals. Um, this was pre Strava. So, uh, I don't know what kind of formal training plan I put together that first year, but I know over the years I've really, um, developed kind of my, my pattern, uh, of training and, and really focused on upping the mileage. But that first year, I think I was probably going out maybe two or three times a week, you know, five, six. I remember the first time I ran 10, no, I wanted, the first time I ran 10 miles was the crim in 2010. So I had gone out and run a nine miler just through Grand Blank. And cause I really wanted that first time that I hit 10 to be the crim. So I was kind of saving that. Um, so I, I remember going out and running a nine miler and, and that was decent. Uh, I think I did some mile repeats. My parents sub, um, was about just a mile loop. So I was doing some mile repeats with, you know, four to five minutes standing rest in the driveway and would do the, you know, three, three of those or so. And, but really, you know, didn't really have a, a plan in place to, to really put it, um, bluntly. So I think that's okay. And in, in some cases, like the mental belief in yourself is so much more important than any training plan. You can have the perfect training plan, not really buy into it. And, and then it doesn't work out on race day, obviously. So you, I think you mentioned the year after that you went up to a full marathon. Yes, that was. That's a big jump. That was 2011 Midland qualifier. And and just to quickly interject, no half marathon before this. Like I said earlier, it was all or nothing. Um, so I had my sights set. It was the inaugural. Uh, marathon in, in Midland, Michigan, from Midland to Bay City, um, just on some country roads uh, in May, so it was a spring marathon. Don't really remember much of that training block, probably because I didn't really train much after week seven. <laughs> uh, you know, you get all gung-ho, you put it, you think you got a, you know, a nice 14-week training block put together, and you end up petering out after seven or eight weeks just because you haven't built that base mileage. Um, so you hobble into a marathon and, and end up running 440 because you blow up at, at mile 16 and it's 90, 90 some degrees out that day. And, uh, so, um, yeah, a pretty disastrous first marathon experience. Um, definitely, definitely, uh, walked away from that one licking my wounds, um, but still wanting more. So 
I can't remember if it was the next year or two. I rattled off a couple years straight of running Grand Rapids and Detroit. I ran Toledo a couple years ago. Um, but really have not found my groove in those longer races quite yet. Um, still, you know, I'm a 35 to 40 mile a week guy. Um, I wish I had, you know, I guess more time to devote to, you know, getting up into the 50s, 60s, 70s. But um, until until I can get up there, uh, I don't know that I will will try to put together a race plan. But I know now that, you know, not putting too much pressure on myself in the beginning of a training block, just building that base mileage and then maybe doing a, a 10 week build up to a marathon is probably better suited for my training style. So, um, you know, I always say wisdom comes with age and I'm definitely learning that firsthand to, to run slower on your mileage runs, your long runs, really let your legs, um, you know, get into that active recovery mode. Um, so still learning, um, still relatively young. So hopefully I got some years ahead of me to, uh, to take some more stabs at some of those longer, longer type races. Absolutely. I'm, I'm learning the easy mileage myself too. It is, you know, Strava is a blessing and a curse. It's motivating when you see your friends on there every day and it, it motivates you to get out there and run. But also there's, you know, we've all been there when, when you have those days when you're like, ooh, like I'm, I'm going to have to push a little bit to get to sub seven pace, but that six to start looks so good on Strava. Um, but I wanted to comment on your marathon too, because I've only done one marathon so far and it did not go great for me either. I mean, I, I hit a wall at mile 20. Um, but I got some good advice from a friend who has since qualified for Boston and he, you know, he didn't have a great first marathon either. And what he told me is it's impossible to know how to run a marathon before you run a marathon. You can read all the articles, do all the kinesiology research and, and understand how the body works. But until you actually put your body through it, you're not going to know what you're doing. So now I do want to transition a bit because you say, you keep saying you're all or nothing guy. You've gone beyond the marathon distance to the ultra marathon distance. So after blowing up in a marathon, what made you want to do more? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I guess I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit to uh, the winter of 2010-2011. So this was my freshman year of college again at Michigan State. And, you know, you, you got calves at every corner, right? You got a cafeteria. You got unlimited chocolate milk with high fructose corn syrup. There's no Trumu around back then. So good. So though. your boy, you know, I, I kind of went ham in the calf came home for Christmas break, you know, love my mother, great saint, saint of a person, comes home and says, wow, you got a little of a bit of a double chin going on there. Her baby boy all are, grown those up. Those are fighting words, right? So I'm, I'm weighing in, you know, I'm weighing in about 176. This is probably, and I'm working out, I'm lifting, I'm not really running, to be completely honest. I'm, you know, I'm in full you know, frat boy mode, 
trying to, you know, get do the curls for the girls, all that stuff. You so, gotta. I'm blowing up. But after that, that was enough to really change the, the direction and the course of the rest of my, my college career and post-collegiate career here um, with running. I got back to campus after after winter break there and um, ran, ran 10 miles uh, in the winter. Uh, I had been reading um, as well. I picked up Dean Karnazes's Great book. Uh, Ultra Al- Marathon Man. Ultra Marathon Man, the 50-50, and his third book, which isn't coming to mind right now. But I'd read all of those three and just was super inspired one night. I had finished the book around 1230 and figured, well, what the heck, you know. I think the Capitol building in downtown Lansing is about five miles away from my dorm. So if I do an out and back, that'll be 10 miles. So I do that. I get back around 2.30 in the morning or so or 2, two o'clock and you know, looking back, it probably wasn't the smartest decision, but that really propelled me into, you know, really my love of, of running, you know, so this is probably what, four or five months after the crim and really didn't really train much in that, in that interim period. So, um, that really kickstarted my, you know, my running and, you know, have, have since lost, you know, a significant amount of weight from that, Hey, that 170 tipping the scales at 176. So, um, yeah, so I say all that to say that I was really introduced early on in my running career to the idea of an ultra marathon. You know, we're talking hundred miles. Dean Dean had run a Western a, States. Western States. You know, you put Badwater in there. You put Leadville in there. Um, you got some over in Vermont. Um, so I really had an a, an introduction to ultra marathons and hundred milers. We're talking here. So there's a uh, the Pinckney Rec area put on a trail weekend where they offer uh, 50k 50 mile 100 mile um, in the spring so I thought oh man you know I kind of had gotten inspired here a couple years ago I think it was 2017 2018 and was like shoot I should really you know throw my throw myself into one of these so and it was an it was a welcome change from you know really pounding the pavement and uh, to really getting into trails into nature. It was nice and training through the winter. I, I really wasn't. It really wasn't about the times, right? It was more about time on feet. I really didn't care what kind of mileage I was getting in. I had done some longer stuff. I did a twenty five miler um, training run one Saturday. It took me like five hours. So really I, I just like I, I I'm gonna do the 50k we're gonna see how it goes and it, it was a great experience um, it hurt a lot you get to the point to where you're walking up hills and and walking a lot of the race and you're carrying all your nutrition on you but it was a great experience and um, you know I don't really go to the well that much but uh, you know it was just one of those bucket list items that I thought hey you know what time is better than now in the present to to do that so um, no real plans to get to get back into that ultra ultra marathon type distance but um you know i'm not not throwing it out of the question here in the future at all once i start slowing down a bit i I give you props for that i've been a part of one ultra event and the best way i can describe it for those who have not been a part of something like that is although technically the people doing these events like Mike, are classified as human beings, I think they are a slightly more evolved species. These people's brains are just wired a little bit differently to put yourself through that. But 
let's let's switch gears back drop down in distance a little bit to that crim because you mentioned the first crim and wanting to do that but in this decade run you've had or i guess probably 11 crims if you 11 count counting the virtual the, the virtual yes uh what has been your your peak for that i feel like it's uh doing it that amount of times you probably get to know not only the distance but the course i know the course a little too well i would say at times because uh it's it's kind of daunting um you go through you know the first four or clicking off you know you can click off your your mileage pretty easily you know you're in with the group you're sitting there but um, then come the Bradley Hills and anyone that's run the crim knows what the Bradley Hills are they kind of set up they set the stage for the second half of the race um, so going through mile five you're going through those hills and it's just one after another and uh, and then there's a sneaky neighborhood that you're running through with hills um, and then miles eight and nine you're still running up hills um, albeit, albeit slight they're still hills nonetheless and they're um, they're not the easiest on the legs. So over the years, you know, getting to know the course and and to uh, you know just set my goals. It's it's cool to look back to see what all my my splits were each year um, or my overall time. Um, I've been anywhere. I think the first year I, I ran 7:03 pace, so that was a 70:30 or right thereabouts. Um, I've been anywhere from 71 down to uh, my PR is 62:20. Um, something so that was i believe 617 ish pace um and really looking back at my training logs i really don't do much different from year to year so i'm still trying to figure out you know how do i put together the perfect race um it really is a mystery because when i look back to 2019 when i ran my pr i wasn't doing a whole ton of mileage i was doing anywhere from 20 to 30 miles a week and throwing in workouts and some speed work um so I'm hoping that with some increased mileage that that will pay some dividends in my time it, continuing to lower it. But yeah, I, I, I'm consistently in the 65 to 67 range, you know, on a good year, I'll be, I'll dip down below that 65. But, um, you know, there's years I've probably been in every minute from 62 up to 71. Uh, so it's been, it's been really cool to kind of see that progression over time, how I've matured as a runner, um, how, how I've really taken the mental aspect into it and really taken the time to um, mentally prepare for the race and really to put a race plan together because in years where I don't, um, you can you can see that you know you, you suffer and your time suffers as a result. So um, that's that's definitely my a race every summer I look forward to and um, you know I look to also take some of that fitness that I've gained into you know a fall half or a, a you know, the Indian Springs puts on the eight mile coffee run every year. Um, so it's just, it's just a good race to train for starting in May, June. Um, so yeah, that's that the crim is, is one of the, my favorite races. I mean, thousands of people come out to race it and just the, the community, the local Flint community is great. And, um, they just put on a really, really good event. I've been fortunate enough to be one of those thousands in, in a couple crims, myself so I, I ran it in 2017 I volunteered in 2018 when I was in my chonk boy phase 
uh, getting those CPA exams done. <laughs> and then uh, 2019, I ran it again, just as uh, kind of a tune up when I was marathon training. So I've actually never trained for it as like my A race. So I've never run under 70 minutes. Um, 2017 was kind of my victory lap from college when I was like, oh, I'm sure I have enough fitness to do this. And then running 710 pace was quite humbling for me. Um, I actually found that those my or those hills in miles eight and nine were like the hardest ones for me. Um, I had trained a lot on the trails for like at Independence Oaks where we run and the Bradley Hills, they're, they're a couple, it's like three consecutive hills right around miles five and six, where you kind of climb and then it plateaus and you climb again, plateaus, and, and there's one more. And those weren't too bad for me. Um, I, I seem to be passing people on those. But later on, when your body's broken down eight miles into it, and I remember hearing so much about the Bradley Hills that those ending rolling miles just killed me. So it's good that you have that course experience to know like when to switch gears, but also like how much to save. So that'll be, hey, I think if training goes well, you can you can shoot for a, a PR this year. There, there's no reason not to. Um, but let's let's transition to this upcoming race we have a week from today so you mentioned indian springs the eight mile race they're doing one here in the summer um i don't think it's really a a regular one but it's called like the run for plants so shout out to the the local farmers markets we support you uh my family's from indiana so cornfields of america love the vegetables gotta gotta love it so this is one that I just found on like runmichigan.com. Um, it's a park that we train at all the time. I live close to it. And given that there's two different races, 5K and, and 8 mile, I think there might be a, a kid's one mile. They wouldn't let me enter it. I was like, can I just go sub five in this kid's mile? Um, but but I'm looking forward to to racing. It's been about two years since I've raced a 5K. Uh, I've done a couple other races in the meantime. But when was the last time you did the eight-mile course at Springs for a race? It must have been 2019. Um, the the coffee, coffee run out there. Um, I actually remember asking you if you could do a, a long run for me or with me when I was training for the marathon and you had that race. So that would have yeah, been 19. That, and that one has, has left a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. Um, I got out kicked there in the last mile. I just didn't have, didn't have it there mentally to, to push through. Um, I'd won the inaugural event out there the year before and was looking to repeat and got beat out by a college student. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been a long journey, uh, to even get to the, the shot at redemption it's been you know almost two years a year and a half now so uh, looking to get back out there on that those nice uh, paved trails it's a beautiful trail beautiful park uh i believe it's where you got married i was gonna say that <laughs> the, the, the the park holds a special place in my heart because um that's where our, our wedding reception was so always like returning to springs and uh you know 
giving it all I got there. Yes, sir. And we will have another friend of the the Chip Time team. My friend Charles will be also running the eight mile event. Charles, if you're listening, text me so I know that you listen. I know you said you might. (laughs) Uh, So we're looking forward to that. And let's transition to some goals of the race. So since you have run this exact distance on this course, um, you know, we've, we've put at, at least a good month of training now. Um, how are you feeling going into it? And if you have an eagle and a beagle, the eagle being, if everything goes right, this is what I think I could do. And the beagle being, hey, I would still be happy if I checked off this time. Yeah, I would say a goal would be to uh, to win it. So I, <laughs> all in, I mean, I'm, I'm all in. Um, so I don't know. You never know what kind of type of competition you're going to have that comes out that day. But um, if I can be in the mix, that, w- that would be good and have a shot at, at winning it. I think that would definitely be um, the number one goal going in. Um, but but time-wise, if we're switching over to time-wise, I'd, I'd r- like to run 6.30 or sub-6.30 pace um just to get the get some turnover in there and you know i've had some confidence with recent workouts and some long runs um so yeah i think those those pretty much define my my a and my b goals um going in for me it is much more of a question mark so with the 5k the the question mark is comprised of a couple things number one Um, I don't have like a true PR in the 5k, which sounds strange, but the fastest like split I've seen for a 5k for me was 1822, but it was sandwiched within an 8k race in college. And also I've run 10k in 3730, which is like 1845 twice. So I don't really know what my 5k is. I never ran like 5K all out in college, even though I know I could have gone way under that. But what that leaves me with is, you know, PR inherent in that that phrase, that moniker, it's a personal record. There's no reason to like estimate what my fitness in college would have given me. So with that being said, I'm treating 1822 as my PR, even though it was in an 8K um, and I think that's going to be my A goal. If everything goes right, I think it's possible. I kind of blew up in our, our workout Wednesday this week, and I didn't have a great workout the week before. But in the days since then, I've already felt a lot better. And so I feel like if I have confidence in my, in my legs and I get a good week of training in and good nutrition, very important there, um, that, that is achievable if you know, if everything goes right, my B goal is going to be to get under 1850. So the reason I, I come to that figure is two years ago was the last time I raced a 5k. I ran 1853. Uh, that was under half marathon training. And also I know this course, although I haven't raced 5k there, it ends with a nice uphill for that point one. So if I could run under 1850 with that uphill, I would check the box for that beagle and say, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. 
So we can close up just uh, some some parting thoughts with today's run. Um, like I mentioned, it, it was a long run Saturday. Uh, it was kind of a windy upper 40 degrees and we were thinking 10 to 12 miles and then I actually pushed for us to get 13 in. So uh, how did you feel just with the run overall? I felt good. Um, I think I said early on I need to definitely uh, roll out my right side. So I think some of the crowning on the on the dirt roads was, was hurting me a little bit more than um, I should have felt, uh, especially in those latter miles. But overall, I, it, it's good to just continue to build that aerobic base. I mean, I think we were, what, 747 average or so. So, um, you know, not, not getting into that aerobic zone is, is really important at this juncture, you know, as early on in the training as we are just putting those weeks together. I think it was a really, really good run, and, you know, we didn't push it too much, and I think it'll pay dividends here uh, in the coming weeks. There's something for me about running on dirt roads in the summer that just – gives me that feel of like kind of summer break just get the miles in you're not worried about the the gauntlet of splits and and paces and all that so today was a very just cruise control run it was a route that I've never done before so I enjoyed that Um, just always getting to uncharted territory I don't know which mailboxes I've gotten tired at in the past and which landmarks to to be afraid of So, yeah, it was a great run. I think it's going to set the table for, um, I'm not really treating this as a taper week myself. Um, I actually think I'm going to increase miles a little bit, which inherently doesn't make sense. But for for my legs where they're at, um, I don't want to go flat into this 5K. So so that's that's all we have for for this part of the show today. Um, Like I said, beautiful, beautiful day for today's long run. Uh, thank you for joining me with a little bit of your your background input, and we will be back with uh, definitely some post race talk after next week. Thanks for having me. Shout out to my guy for that interview. Ton of fun. Uh, also, shout out for him allowing me to 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 increase our mileage a little bit to thirteen for the day. Uh, that was a great run, like we said, and uh, and also shout out for the new route. It's always a lot of fun for me to check some new routes, especially if they have a Strava segment. So transitioning now to the last portion of the show, the last segment of the show, I'm pretty excited to talk about Ellie Hennis today. Um, there's just something about knowing these runners, knowing a bit of their background and performance history when you watch them that makes watching those races uh, just a little more, a way you can stay connected as a viewer. So Ellie Hennis is in her fifth year for NC State, just with the way eligibility worked out. And so, of course, she is a senior. Um, Interesting fact, in case you don't know, I'm sure many do, her mom, Lori, is the women's coach at NC State, so she has to play that role of mom and coach, and uh, actually her dad met her mom when they were on the NC State team back in the 80s, so you gotta love a good track romance. I mean, that's that's always been the, the hope for me, right, that, that I'll be 
on a track someday, just doing doing an easy, flashy workout, like uh, like some 400 repeats or something, and, and I'm cooling down, and this girl walks up, she's getting ready to do a, a track workout, and you know, she, she just saw me put in some serious work and we, we walk over there and I say, Hey, let me pace you for a few. So I I pace her through a few reps. She clearly realizes that, uh, this, this very attractive stranger is, is about to help her get a PR in her next race. And before I leave, I just say, can I get your Strava? Planted the seed. I'm sure that's how it happened. So anyways, her mom is the coach and NC State is a powerhouse program. And so to be a powerhouse program and to be someone who has achieved as much as Ellie has achieved, it's really impressive. So running through the different seasons real quick, her last cross country season was the fall of 2019. She didn't have any eligibility for the 2020 season, but in 19, she was the ACC champ and finished 10th at the National Cross Country Championships, which is extremely impressive. If you're in that top 40 and you're an All-American, that's extremely impressive, but that top 10 is the elite echelon, like the elite of the elite. So, that's incredible. That shows, you know, range, tactical prowess, um, really just mental toughness to be able to do that in cross country. In the indoor track, okay, transitioning to this year, she had eligibility in both indoor and outdoor track. She was the ACC champ in the 3K running nine flat, which was a school record. And like I mentioned, being able to get a school record at a place as reputable as NC State is extremely impressive. And, and that one had stood for a little while from, from what I understand. Did not PR in the 5K indoor this year, but she was third at the National Indoor Track Championships in that event. And like I said, even though she didn't PR, guess what? Her PR as a junior of 1541 is the school record. So wasn't able to, to eclipse that in indoor, but uh, still school record in that event, 1541. She was not an All-American in the 3K indoor, which is arguably her best race, but I watched that one and she did get tripped during that race, uh, both her and Allie Shadler unintentionally it was just a a packed group on a you know a short banked track and unfortunately they went down um she still finished the race and and beat Allie Shadler but it was uh you know it's a disappointment when that happens just like I mentioned in the intro with with Christian Noble that's part of the game we play so transitioning now to the outdoor oval that's this is where it gets real people this is where we, you know, fast forward to where we're at right now, ultimately at the tail end of the outdoor season. So I found it very interesting that Ellie has been running a handful of 1500s this season to at least to open the season. She started with a few. So coming into this 2021 season, her PR was 418. 
that's pretty solid. That's, that's pretty solid. I've run a few 418s myself. But here's the thing. She opened up the season with a 415, which is instant PR, knocking a couple seconds off. That's impressive. But get this, in the ACC championships recently, she ran 4.10 and finished third in that event. So just to reiterate, this is a cross-country All-American. This is a 3K, 5K specialist running 4.10, which is, I mean, that puts you in All-American national territory. That's, That's some foot speed right there. And what that tells me, especially from watching some of her indoor races, where I feel like she has been a runner who is able to to redline for a long time, which which by that I mean she's able to run at like 90% effort for a long time. But when that gear changes to 100, 100% the last 200, 150, 100 meters, she hasn't had as quick of finishing speed as some other runners. But dropping down to the 1500 and running 410 recently, that is some foot speed. That is going to get you a better position on the national stage. So looking at the outdoor side of the record books, this is very interesting to me. Okay, so she came into the season with the school record outdoor of a 1531 5K. In comes teammate and roommate Hannah Steelman, who breaks Ellie's record running a 1530. I believe that was at the Virginia Challenge. So she comes in. Hannah Steelman's more of a steeplechase runner, but also an incredible cross country runner in her own right. She placed fifth at the national championships this year. So she breaks a school record, and then Ellie Hennis puts those 410 wheels on and well I guess it was she didn't have the 410 wheels yet because that was at ACC's but she did take back that school record running a 1518 pretty significant cut in time there and as we look at the landscape today being the east and west regionals for the women's 5k and ultimately nationals is just around the corner um, 1518 currently puts her fourth in the country behind only number three, Mercy Chilangot, the reigning cross country national champion. Number two, Courtney Wayman from BYU, the reigning 3K indoor national champion, who also anchored the distance medley relay indoor national championship team. And number one, Whitney Orton who unfortunately had a foot injury during cross-country this strange winter season we just had, but still finished as an All-American and has incredible talent. So it's really not a a shock that she's leading the nation right now. But Ellie Hennis is fourth and is working on that closing speed. So what's so fascinating and and really you got to tip your cap to with that 15-18 is Not only was it a school record, not only does it put her at the forefront of the NCAA, but for her and those other three women I mentioned, they will be running at the USA Trials. The standard to go to the trials is 1520, and they all dipped under that standard. So props to them for 
that and the last thing I want to do just because it is today people is do a preview of the women's 5,000 meters for the east region so man the NCAA they they did the right thing okay I have to say they did the right thing but as a fan it grinds it grinds the gears a little bit so there are two heats of if I if I'm understanding this start list correctly there are two heats it looks like I'm correct there uh, of the women's 5,000 meters tonight and there are two of the four women I mentioned in this region Ellie Hennis and Mercy Chilangot in different heats so would love to see them go toe-to-toe tonight it looks like that's going to have to be something we wait until nationals for but this is still going to be a really good race we've got some absolute firepower we've got really the full gauntlet of NC State Wolfpack runners here we've got not only Ellie Hennis but we have Hannah Steelman, who I recently mentioned. We have Caitlin Tui, who has arguably, I don't even think it's a hot take, she's had the most successful high school cross-country season of all time. I really don't think that's a hot take. Uh, she's run 1547 this year. We have Dom Claremont, who was the who is the reigning ACC cross-country champion. She's also run 1547. And we have Kelsey Schmiel, who's run 1556. So that is a total of five NC State runners in this heat of 24. There's a couple more women I want to point out. We have Nicole Feegans, who was a cross-country All-American this year. Um, she, in my opinion, is a little stronger at the 10K, but uh, she's got some wheels, 1537 this year. We have Maddie Denner, who doesn't have a... a eye-popping seed time of 16-16, but she was a cross-country All-American back in 2019, so there's a lot of talent there. And the last runner I want to point out, I guess I'll point out two more. We've got Jenna Magnus from Michigan State, 1538. I think that's an MSU record. I could be wrong. Jenna was also an All-American in cross-country this year. But the big name, uh, I call her the villain, is Joyce Camelli, and, and the reason I call her the villain, of course, I, I wish everyone well, is the way she runs, like the tactical way she runs, it's just, uh, it's a little bit too gimmicky for my liking. Um, anyone who watched the 10K for D2 between the battle between Ezra Mutai and Isaac Harding, she races like Ezra Mutai in, in that regard, where um, th- there's a lot of injections of pace and then backing off and, and sort of waving someone else to lead in front of her. And then she ultimately likes to use her closing speed to defeat that runner, to outkick them the last hundred. So indoor this year in the SEC championships, she did this to Katie Izzo in, in both the 3K and the 5K. Um, it didn't work out for her at nationals in the 3K. Courtney Wayman said, I'm not letting it come to this. Coach Taylor said, take it from the gun, and she pretty much did. Uh, Lauren Gregory was able to get second in that race too. But I just think, so Joyce Camelli's run 1548 this year. 
that is 30 seconds behind Ellie Hennis. And also, Joyce Camelli did not have a great performance at the Trials of Miles, Trials of Miles Kansas City qualifier. Uh, I believe that was about a month ago. And that was designed to be a time trial and not really, there's no incentive to be tactical in a race like that. So that tells me that maybe the fitness of indoor isn't there for her, but I'm just a little nervous because as you can tell, I'm kind of an NC State fan of their women's team. And so I'm kind of rooting for Hennis and Steelman here and and Tui. And I, I just, I don't want this to turn dangerously tactical would love to see them sweep one, two, three, like they did at ACC's. And anyways, it should be a good race. There are a couple dark horses in there. So similar to what I mentioned yesterday, there are uh, there should be free streams for these. I have not watched any of the East Regional action yet, but I believe there is a link you can follow from NCAA.com that redirects you to a website with a free stream. I I briefly clicked on it yesterday and it did look like it brought live action up. So that's the direction on that one. Uh, We've got some other great big events tonight because of the weather cancellations last night in the West regionals for division one. There is a stacked just absolutely stacked gauntlet of distance events. So we've got, I mean, the big ones being the men's 5K. You got Tier and Hawker in that one, uh, slated for 7.05. Uh, is that Eastern or Central time? Gosh, time zones are so confusing. Um, sometime this evening. And uh, yeah, you got Steeplechase, 800. There's a lot to watch there. Like I said, there's the conclusion of Division II National Championships. And ultimately, the Portland Track Festival. It's going on uh, starting 4 p.m. Pacific, which is 7 p.m. our time. And yes, people, I sadly did uh, I did take the bait. There was a $5.99 paywall. I did decide to pay that. But I don't really mind paying for events like this where it's supporting a local meet versus like the flow track empire. Um, even runner space plus, I wish, it was, I wish it was a little bit cheaper, but you know what? $5.99, it got me Galen Rupp's 10K last night. Nostalgic for me to see my boy there. And there are a lot of good events today. We've got Matt Centrowitz versus Mo Ahmed and Josh Thompson in a 1500. We've got a, a 5K with Shelby Houlihan. I think she's in the 5K. Might be 1,500. Apologies if I'm wrong there. Uh, Carissa Schweizer, I know, is in the 5K. So, and, and Grant Fisher. Grant Fisher, my quote-unquote high school rival, uh, is running a 5K tune-up tonight. And there's some other Bowerman guys in that one, too. So, with that, people, thank you for listening to this. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mike. Uh, There will not be a person named Mike every single week, but so far so good. We're at, we're, we're two for two on that front. So gosh, there is a lot of track to continue to watch, but I hope everyone has a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. 
Hopefully the weather continues to be good running weather so you can get out there yourself, get some fresh air, grill out with your family. And I myself, as I mentioned in the intro, we just had dose number two here in the in the left arm. So I'm about to crush the most legendary nap of all time. So with that, thanks for listening. Keep working hard and we'll see you next time. Thank you.